this room, Father, we thank you that you empower us to carry out your will for our lives, Jesus. We thank you that you are above every demonic thing in this world, yes, Father, God. on the heavens yeah. and in the earth, Lord. You are here with us today, Father. We expect you to move mightily. You've already been moving, Jesus. So we are expectant to see what you're going to do as we continue, Jesus. We thank you and we love you. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Isn't it amazing what we, uh, what we can uh, not allow in the house of God, but we'll allow in our lives? Just becomes normal to us. Yeah. Isn't it amazing what we become desensitized to? Isn't it amazing the things that hang out with us in our own room? That we act like it's not there. That captures our attention and causes us not to be focused on what really matters. Isn't that amazing? Today's message is evict the straw man. Evict the straw man. Saints, 1 John 3.8 says the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the work of the devil. How many of you know that the work of the devil is much more than what happened when you were lost, but it can also be included in the days that you've actually been saved? Luke 10.17 says this. The 72 disciples returned with joy. The Okay, I'm going to move past that, but I mean like 72, that's more than 12, right? So they, they were given some things the other 12 didn't have? Okay, just make... The 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subjected to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning. Lightning. Behold, I have given you authority. Say me? Yes, you. I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Every single bit of it. All the power of the enemy. And nothing shall hurt you. I said nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subjected to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Amen. Let me ask you something this morning. Are the renters ruling your earth? Are squatters claiming your inheritance? Are there obstacles posted in your promised land that are scaring you into not exploring the wheat and tare that might be in it? Are there incomplete doctrines in your life? Are there uneducated beliefs that you carry? Are there misconceptions keeping you from advancing in the kingdom? Are there Biblical things that you believe or unbiblical things that you believe that are keeping you from receiving the healing purchased for you by Jesus. Saints, we're going to test this today. The message is evicting the straw man. Do you know what a straw man is? Anybody know what a straw man is? Right. Do you know what a straw man argument is? Right. The literal definition of a straw man argument. Is used to explain it intentionally misrepresented proposition that is set up because it is easier to defeat than the opponent's real argument. Are you with me? The straw man is a deceptive tool that actually possesses no substance or integrity in and of itself. Nevertheless, it's used. Straw man. For example, if I were to say to Pastor Landon, listen, Pastor Landon, because my mail keeps getting stolen, 
I think we, uh, we, we should add more security cameras. That's what we should do. Hold on, Pastor, listen. So are you saying that you don't trust our homeless neighbors? Did, did I say that? Is that even the subject at hand? Who said anything about homeless? Who said anything about my neighbors? I'm talking about my mail. What if I were to say, hey, listen, Pastor Landon, my favorite restaurant in the Denton Square says that nobody under 18 is admitted after 8 p.m. Well, hold on, Pastor. So you tell me, why are they against families eating together? <laughs> Did I say that? Wow. What if I was Pastor Landon's dad and I just said, well, Listen, you can't go to the party tonight because you got school the next day. Dad, come on. You don't want me to have friends? You don't trust me with my own life and my own decision making? Oh, you thought this was an adult issue. No, it's, it, it, it's, it's in there by birth, apparently. What if our... Pastor, Pastor Landon's... Let's see, Pastor... And I came to him and I said, listen, Pastor Landon, I feel like you're displaying some demonic fruit. And I am really concerned about yeah. you, your family, your children. And I'm really concerned that what's coming out of you is demonic. And I'm, I'm wondering what's inside of there. Well, Pastor, I don't think I understand what you're saying. Because are you telling me that a Christian can be possessed by a demon? Straw man. When you see a straw man in a harvest field, what do you call it? <laughs> Saints, a scarecrow is positioned in the middle of a harvest field to create a no-fly zone. Do you have those in your life? Do you throw things out there and, 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 and just like a flash bomb so that nobody actually goes there and it scares you from moving forward? And you don't actually focus on the things that really matter? Saints, we believe this is a scarecrow in the middle of the harvest field that has caused Christians to fail to advance in their spiritual warfare, which is a very real thing, and leave you bound by chains that Jesus came to break. Why fight if you don't think you have to? Come on. That's good. Straw man. Church, 2 Corinthians 4 says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Maybe we should be asking ourselves if Christians can be blinded as well. Yeah. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Come on. Church, today we want to combat a straw man, a scarecrow in your harvest field that is stealing your biblical worldview and causing you not to pay attention to the reality in front of you of the effects of demonic spiritual warfare in your lives that is robbing you of the benefits given to you by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Are you ready for this? Yes. Brace yourself like a man or a whoa man because you're going to need it. Saints, we're just going to jump right out there 
and say it because we're trying to get in front of things that we know that are coming and are already here. Something's coming for this ministry that we want to make sure to equip you for. So we're going to do our jobs and we're going to ask you to do yours. Amen. Says, listen, I'm going to be very clear. We do not believe that a Christian can be, quote unquote, possessed by Satan or a demon. I just lost half of the room. But now I'm about to lose the other half. But we also do not believe that a lost person can be possessed by Satan or a demon as well. There went the whole room. But I want you to hear me out. But we do believe that both lost and saved, redeemed and unredeemed can, in fact, be cohabitated by darkness or demonized in some measure. Listen to me, because this is a key understanding to your biblical narrative. And we're going to remove that straw man for you. Both. Why? Are owned by the Lord. This word demonized in English, in the Greek, is daima nizamai. Daima nizamai. Say daima. Daima. Nizamai. Nizamai. It is used 13 times in the New Testament, and in the King James Version, it was poorly translated as demon possessed. Now, here's the problem with that. Your English word for possess comes with the, under, with the feeling of ownership. Am I right? What ownership? I can be... I can be in possession of my car, but the bank owns it. Hello. I can be in possession of my own body, but when I meet Jesus face to face, he's going to remind me of who owns this. The word Dhamma needs am I never indicates ownership. So the Bible never says that any person has ever been, quote unquote, possessed by anything other than God himself. Even the account of the Exodus, 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 not Exodus, Exorcist movie that some of you have watched and let let shape your understanding of what we're talking about. What do I mean? Number one, that story was was not about a little girl. It was about actually a little boy that was real. And this dude is climbing on the ceilings, levitating. Hello. At that point, you would call him possessed. Well, here's the issue biblically with that that you need to understand. He may have, he most certainly was controlled and influenced by many demonic things, maybe even Satan himself, but the Lord still owned him. The Lord still owned that vessel, although somebody or something else was in control. Are you with me this morning? Yeah. The reason we adamantly oppose the idea of the kingdom of darkness or demons or Satan, Satan, quote unquote, possessing a Christian or any other human being is because we adamantly oppose the idea that Satan or his minions own anything. The word of God is clear. God owns all things. Everything. You see, this is good news for you who have been dabbling in darkness, because even if you're possessed by Satan today, God still owns that vessel. There's never a moment of hopelessness. There's always hope. First Chronicles 29, 11 says your Lord is the greatness. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor and everything in heaven is yours. Everything in the heavens is yours. 
Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted over, over every single thing. Psalms 24.1 says it like this. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all that live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it upon the waters. Job 12.10 says, in his hand is life and every creature, everything created. And the breath of all mankind included is his. Exodus 19.5 goes right out and says it. Listen, now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you'll be my treasure possession. Although the whole earth is already mine. Deuteronomy 10.14 says, the Lord, your God, to the Lord, your God belongs the heavens, even the highest heavens and everything in them. The earth and everything in it, God owns all things. Saints, the devil owns nothing because our father owns everything, including him. So can a human or any creation be possessed by a devil or any or any of his team? No, not in the sense that you call possession. But can a human or any creature or creation, including a Christian, be influenced, cohabitated or controlled by the demonic? Absolutely. One hundred percent. This is what your Bible teaches. Dima Nitsamai, demonize. It's the reason you must put on the armor. And if you do not, we're about to show you what happens. Today, we're going to use Judges 6, and you can turn there. We're going to use Judges 6 to remind you of what the subtle progression of what the reality can look like if you don't put on your armor. And then we're going to invite you to rid yourself of the lingering effects that may be in your life because you have not. Saints, you can have niches in your armor. Even if you have it on. And then by the time we're done with this place, we're going to leave you in a place where you are renewed and full of power. Amen. Amen. Are you in Judges 6? Here's what's about to happen to you. We're about to give you a, a, a seven demonic stages of a slippery slope. How about that? Seven demonic stages of a slippery slope. We're about to give you a seven course meal. Are you ready? Are you ready? Yeah. Amen. Let's go. Church, step number one, regression. Say regression. Regression. Judges 6, chapter, chapter 6, verse 1. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Wow. <laughs> Saints, you remember, this is a story about Gideon and the Israelites. This is the time of the judges when men did what was right in their own eyes. There wasn't no good choices. There was only Gideon. But God found Gideon, made Gideon worth the choice. Amen. That's my story. Come on. The Israelites did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years, God gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Saints, seven in your Bible is, uh, is indication of a complete cycle. Do you love the Lord but feel like there's some things in your life? That's a vicious cycle. <laughs> That's because they are vicious. And you know, the one thing our father's not is vicious. Yeah. 
Do you find yourself having victory in some areas and then completely derailed on others? Saints, these things are demonic and satanic and you must be delivered from them if you want to be free. Do you want to be free today? Saints, the word regression literally is to return to what was. Either good or bad, to return to what was. It's clear that going back to evil, right? You're like, yeah, I get that. Going back to evil is not a good thing for me, right? But what about returning back to what was familiar? Because it's comfortable. And because you had a victory over that, so you rest in that, and you don't really want to conquer what's coming, because that's the unknown, and you'd have to trust God in a different measure. We're called to glory to glory, saints. Not to return to back what was, in, in order to return back to what was, in order to pep us up. Whether it's drugs, right, porn, overeating, what? Those things are clear, but what about your old career and your old friends and your old places where you used to live, right? And something's pulling you there. Regression. Church, let's take a second to unpack something found in verse 1. It's the place we start. Verse 1 starts with, the Israelites did evil. Yeah. The word did means to do, work, make, or produce. It is an action that takes a doing. Yeah. Doing will always lead to something produced. Come on. Good or bad action will always bear fruit of some form or fashion. The Israelites did evil and they reaped consequences of the evil they did. They reaped the production of their wrongdoing. Yeah. The story could be flipped. They could reap the benefits of their right doing. But that's not what it says. When you regress, it's an action that first and foremost you take. We're going we're gonna to start now, and we're going to be done saying the devil made me do it. Come on. We're done with that language. You did it to yourself, and this is the first step in realizing and experiencing demonic activity and influence and all these things that you wonder, can I even be possessed in the first place? It doesn't matter. You regressed the first time. Listen close. Every demonic cohabitation begins by you first inviting the enemy into your home. The devil, made ne- the devil never made you do anything. You invited him in. Come on. And apparently there was an empty room in your temple in here that you did not allow God to fill. Okay. As Christians, we go around saying, Lord, fill me, Lord, fill me, Lord, fill me. Fill every room. How many empty rooms are there in your life? Okay. Because the devil looks for the empty rooms. Yeah. He doesn't look for the ones that are filled. He doesn't want any business with that. He can't win. In, he can't win there anyways. Yeah. He, he's looking for the things that are empty. Mm. He's looking for the space he can crawl in and just maybe if I can just sneak in, that's step one. Yeah. But it only comes when you open the door. The first stage in this demonic assault on your life always starts with opening the door and allowing the enemy to step into it. Come on. Wow. Saints, the scripture says that after 40 years of peace, Israel opened the door of demonic influence by forgetting that what God originally said and begin to return to what the King James Version calls a familiar spirit. You know what we call that? You call it backsliding. Yeah. And this happens as soon as you 
abdicate authority to someone or something spiritual that is not the Holy Spirit. You know what abdicate is? It's you have the authority, but the only way that it, that it is no longer in your hands is you, you give it away. Abdicate. Proverbs 14, 14 says the backslider in heart will be filled with the fruit of his ways, but the good man will be filled with the fruit of his ways. Second Peter 2, 20 says it like this. For if after they had escaped, who escaped? Those who were in bondage and were no more. After they had escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them to never have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it, turn back from the holy commandments delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. A dog returns to his own vomit and a sow or a pig after washing himself returns and begins to wallow in it. See, you thought we were talking about lost people. No, we're doing some in-house work this morning, saints. Listen, escaping the defilement of the world, possessing the knowledge of Jesus as Savior, knowing the way of righteousness, following the holy commandments. Who do you call that? You call those Christians. Christians. Church Galatians 4. Starting in 8, it says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. Yeah. But now that you have come to know God, or rather be known by him, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? Oh, dang. Dang. You observe days and months and seasons and years. And Paul ends by saying, I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Dang. Verse 9, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you desire and want to be once more? Mm, telling on me. Paul doesn't mince words, and we're not going to this morning either. He calls it for what it is. It's your fleshly desire to be captivated by that which previously captivated you. Okay. We're going to steal that for the rest of our lives. Oh, that's in there. Again, it always starts with you welcoming in something other than the Holy Spirit. And church, let me tell you, anything other than the Holy Spirit is flat out demonic. Come on. There are no ands, ifs, or buts. It is demonic. Yeah. Verse 20 of Galatians 4 says, I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. <laughs> How much longer will you desire the things that the Lord delivered you from? I can imagine what's going on in Paul's mind as he's writing. I'm perplexed. You've been given the keys to the kingdom. Handed to you on a silver platter by King Jesus himself. And you want that over there that I brought you out of? Perplexity. It's perplexing because it's backsliding, regression. Regression. Backsliding is also an action. It's a slippery slope that you are sliding down away from the things that God intends you to and back to the things that once captivated you. There's some of it going on in this room, and we're putting our finger on it this morning. Amen. Come on. This is a wake-up call, church. Yeah. Some of you are asleep. Yeah. 
We have all slept in the past and we are awake. Come on. And we are alive and full yes. of the spirit this morning. Yeah. It's time for all of us in unity to wake up. Come on. The church has been asleep for far too long and we are asking God to shake <laughs> our very that. core. Come on. We believe the Lord will use a message such as this to awake you from your slumber. Yeah. Some of you in this room might be getting a bit annoyed the past few weeks that we started talking about demonic activity and stuff. Yeah. I would too if you keep putting my finger in my wound. Yeah. We all have open wounds or niches in our armor. And what happens, you see in, in honestly, horror movies, when someone's tormenting someone, they'll put their finger in the wound. Yeah. And it hurts like hell. Yeah. But you know what we're doing this morning? We're, gonna pro- we're not going to torture you with it. We're going to provide healing Come on. for that afterwards, right? Come on. So we're here to tell you today that we're not going to back down. We're not going to shut up. Yeah, come on. We're going to set God's sons and daughters free this morning. Amen. And it's time to wake up. Yeah. Romans 13 says, besides this, you know the time. Yeah. That the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone and the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Saints, what happens when you don't put on the armor of light? Galatians 6 tells us, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. We as individuals and as a whole, as a corporate body this morning, will reap what we sow. Come on. Sow into the Holy Spirit, and you reap the secondary consequences of sowing into the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Sow into any other spirit, and you will reap the consequences of sowing into any other spirit. Saints, are you ready for the Lord to do what the music can't? Hebrews 6, 4 says this, for it is impossible. Somebody say impossible. Impossible. It is impossible in the case of those who have been once enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance. Since they are crucifying, once again, the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up in contempt. Well, I'm just struggling with for five weeks, five months, and five years. Let's just call it for what it is at this point. You need to get delivered. That's not struggling with saints. That's disobedience and sin. Regression is the beginning of the end, and in the eyes of the Lord, when his sons and daughters do it, he calls it evil. Isn't it funny that we can dispute a demon inhabiting the caverns of a Christian's heart, but we have no problem confessing evil thoughts and feelings that come from inside of you? Wow. Backsliding and falling away are not struggling with getting things right, saints. Regression is the choice to return to what was familiar and the first invite to demonic strife. Pastor Landon mentioned it. Cohabitation. Co means more than one. Hello. Judges 6.1 literally says it right here. Are you ready for this? We've been here and we're going to come back to it again. Judges 6.1 said, who was it that came To the Israelites in verse 1, the Midianites. 
Do you remember the Midianites? In Numbers chapter 25, Israel yokes themselves to a God called the Baal of Peor, causing a plague on the land. And as the leaders of God are literally weeping at the tent of meeting before God, an Israelite man from among them goes and takes a Midianite woman who worships Baal inside of the tent, right down the road from the other tent, and cohabitates with her. What a scene. And then this young, this young priest named Phineas saw, saw this and wasted no time. And he rushes in and he spears the man through the bullseye of his rear end and through to the lady. Graphic. And the plague stopped. What are you willing not to do? But if you did do it, the plague would stop. Numbers chapter 25 says that God says to Moses that these people are adversaries. They are adversity that they must be eliminated because they seduce the people of God into cohabitating with their gods, demons, their demonic gods. Saints, the Midianite represents cohabitation with demons. It represents the strife that comes with cohabitation of the, you know what the word Midianite means? Strife. Got some? Then ask yourself, what's its origin? Judges 6.1 says the Israelite did evils in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years, he gave them into the hand of the Midianites. He gave them into the hands of strife. Regression, saints, is to return back to what you were once set free from. And that is the first step to demonic strife. Regression is to revisit the idea of going back to the good things that God made the choice for you to move you on from. But you seem to revisit them all the time. Regression, saints, doesn't stop there. It leads to repression. Step two, repression. Say repression. Repression. Judges 6, verse 2. Because the power of Midian, or strife, was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Wow. Saints, regression opens a door to repression. Repression is what comes in once you open that door. Repression literally means the action of subduing someone or something, watch this, by force. Saints, demonic strife in its nature, if let in, can overpower the sons of Yahweh. Wow. It literally takes you captive, subdues you by force. You ask, how is that possible? Well, when you allow something to stay in your house long enough, it will start to spread and overtake the space that you gave it, which it resides in. Yeah, like a cockroach. The Holy Spirit does the same thing if you let him in. You invite Jesus in and he wants more. That ain't a cockroach. That ain't no cockroach. That's my guy. We don't talk about him like a cockroach. (laughs) The Holy Spirit does the same with the space you give him. Jesus wants it all. All of your empty rooms. Yes. How important is it for us to give every empty room to the Lord so we don't have to walk through this again? Yeah. Yeah. Saints, it was mentioned in prayer. It was prophesied in worship. I believe there's a certain level of entitlement in the sons of God. Mm. Specifically in the Western church. Hmm. It blinds us. Yeah. It causes 
we who call ourselves Christians to think we're invincible from the attacks of the enemy. Come on. Causes us to think we're untouchable. Yeah. We're superheroes. Yeah. We're Jesus' chosen ones. Mm -hmm. We're the sons of God. Therefore, we reign supreme with him. Maybe. Unless you're welcoming demonic ships to dock at your empty ports. Yeah. <laughs> Unless you are allowing demonic influence to cohabitate with you in the empty yet now filled room of your heart. Or maybe you're just unaware that the enemy prowls around like a lion seeking to devour you. And maybe you see it happening in others around you. Mm. But not me, Lord, I'm a saint. <laughs> Load of baloney. Special. If sons and daughters of God were invincible, there would be no need to put on the armor every day. Come on. Paul would not have spent more than half of the epistles talking to you about your need to, be a, to, be, to know about spiritual warfare. Yeah. Church, Paul was not writing to the lost. He was writing to the church, the ecclesia, the sons and daughters of God. Wow. Our blindness has caused us into thinking otherwise. And listen, Paul just wasn't writing to the church in that day. Mm -hmm. He was writing to you. Yeah. Who would come generations later. Yeah. Shh. Pastor Landon's right. The Western church believes in being spoon-fed the goodness of God. We do not. Amen. We were given salvation. We were given the power of the Holy Spirit. Why? To live out a godly life and advance and push back darkness. The Midianites represented invited cohabitation. That is unchecked cohabitation. Unchecked cohabitation of spiritual things that are not God will always lead to inhabitation of the friends that they bring with them. Anybody ever move some... Some of y'all live in some apartments before or in here, right? And you're like, where'd these roaches come from? Somebody else moved them in with somebody else's stuff, and now there's yours too. Cohabitation. Saints, personal inward regression is an invite to our repression. Are you with me? Don't get lost in the words. We're going to walk you through these things. Internal backsliding provokes external attacks. Internal backsliding provokes external attacks. Israel invited strife into their homes and strife invited them to leave. Because the influence that was let in came in with so much pressure that Israel began to develop what the scripture says here, strongholds. Strongholds are protective, right? They can be. David was in a stronghold, the cave of Adullam. Strongholds are protective until... You fall in love with them. Strongholds are temporary lodging to weather attack. Amen. But when you find safety in your seclusion, you have just surrendered your inheritance. And the reality is that the enemy is squatting on what belongs to you. Anyone ever get weary during the COVID quarantine? Anybody have negative things that happen to you because you said, I think I should quarantine too. How, how well did that do for the church? Some of you are under the impression that you should stay home for church at the slightest cold and as soon as your kids break 100 degrees. How's that working for you? Saints, some of you are under that impression. When did you stop believing in the healing power of the presence of God? 
When did you stop believing, right, that a Tylenol could do for your kid better than what the presence of the Lord could do for your kid? Or maybe you thought that the Holy Spirit's just floating around like a nomad in the air instead of being hosting the hearts of the people of God. Strongholds. Repression. Repression. Saints, you were not designed to live on cliffs, dwell in caves, or the solace of strongholds. That is not what you were designed for. You were designed to demolish strongholds. Amen. You were, you were designed to demolish strongholds, not fall in love with them. There is, there is no healing power in that way of life. You, my friend, are in regression. You are now in repression, and you have settled for less. 2 Corinthians 10.3 uh, 2, 2 says it like this. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. For the weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. You think that means somebody else's strongholds. What about yours? We demolish arguments, straw men, and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God in your harvest field. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Saints, if you have fallen in love with the struggle, you are in a demonic influence of repression. You're not supposed to just struggle for the rest of your life. You're supposed to struggle and win. If you have a pattern of getting sick, or fighting with your spouse every time that you set out to do the slightest thing for God, you are experiencing demonic repression. And as soon as you yield to it, the devil knows where your breaking point is. Why do you think it's so hard to get here on a Sunday morning? Because there's something working against you. Why do you go back and look at your calendar? What's the pattern on which sickness breaks out in your house? What's the pattern of which your fights break out between spouses? What's the pattern? Hello, prophecy is pattern and, and the demonic realm knows it. So then they have a, co uh, what you call it? A, uh, co 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 not cohabitation. <laughs> a fake one. There's a word for that. Thank you. Come on. Teacher Kendall. Counterfeit. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Manifestations like no willingness in your obedience, right? Following Jesus, but no joy. You can't find the meaning of the difficulty for, for, for your life's sake, right? Symptoms of repression. Repression leads to an even greater level of demonization, saints. What's it called, Pastor Landon? Suppression. Suppression. Somebody Stage. say suppression. suppression. Somebody say suppression. suppression. Thank you. Stage three, suppression. Verse 3, whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. Yeah. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing. Not For Israel, neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkeys. Wow. Church, in verse 3, we see what it practically looks like for the demonic activity in your cart to, in your camp to start to spread. <laughs> that reminds me, my, my dogs get sick at times too, literally yeah. around Sundays. So. <laughs> Go ahead. Church, we're, we're, like we said, we're giving you a seven-course meal. This is only the third course. That's right. 
So let me remind you for a second. Let's kind of recap just so we make sure we're all on the same page because you cannot afford to miss any of this. That's right. It's imperative we're in tune with these progressions so we can rightly identify where the enemy is at work in us. Yeah. Once we identify where he's at work in us, we can then help a brother and a sister to identify where he's at in them. Come on. So first, it was that you gave a foothold to the enemy in your life. Yeah. You allowed him to rent a room in your temple, and he decided to set up shop. You gave him a space, he decided to make it his own. You ever owned a home and rented it out? Or probably for most of us, you rented out a home someone else owned? When the owner of a home rents out a space for a guest, one can only naturally expect his guest to make that space his own in some form or fashion. The enemy has been led into your camp and you've leased him a room and now he wants to dress that room up to his liking. Makes sense. Except secondly, after he's decorated his newly leased room, he gets comfortable in the space you allowed him to reside in. And when he gets comfortable, he starts to settle down. When he gets comfortable, he starts to invite his buddies over for a party. I got this new place. Come check it out. Let's throw a party. The enemy within starts to multiply. And when when he starts to multiply, you suddenly feel overpowered by the enemy in the specific areas you've let him into. He begins to expand within the original authority you gave him. This time without asking. And that's only step number two. What we're getting into now, suppression. In the midst of the enemy's quest to take over more, you find yourself being attacked as soon as you start trying to plant seeds of righteousness. Look at what verse 3 said. The Israelites planted their crops. And what happens? The demonic strife and adversity camps on your land and ruins them and they don't spare a living thing the enemy starts to manifest as you try to plant seeds and you start to realize it he starts to present himself even more and his next step is snuffing out and strangling anything that you try to produce for the lord anything you name it he's going to strangle it because you've given them the authority to As soon as you start trying to take steps towards righteousness, he strangles it. When something is stifling your growth, that is called suppression. And listen, there's fruit. And when we were talking about earlier in the stage of regression, how your fruit will show it, it doesn't always happen right away. Sometimes you don't always see and catch the things that you're regressing in. Sometimes that's the way the enemy plans it so small that you don't notice until it starts to overtake you. This is where the fruit of your regression starts to show and people around you can actually see it in you. A demonic, slippery slope. Repression is the interior warfare that leads to external lack of fruit. Have you ever had some? Maybe that's you today. As soon as you settle for less than the full inheritance that Jesus purchased for you, then you are under the influence of suppression. Suppression is the demonic influence that aims to stifle your growth. Let's be honest today. Is your level of spiritual maturity the same as it was last year? 
you're experiencing suppression. The demonic influence of the Midianites were invited into the lives of the people of God. And guess what? It says that they brought friends with them. Wow. What were the friends called? The Amalekites. Their name literally means valley dwellers, like in the low places. Bottom feeders. Right? The originator of the Amalekites was Amalek. He, he was, they were the first adversity Israel faced when coming out of Egypt. Are you not hearing me this morning? Do you remember the first time your enemy, or the first enemy you faced after being born again? Do you remember the first enemy you faced after being born again, after being delivered from God or from it? Did you overcome it and put it away or did you, or did you kill it? Totally? Because Israel did not. They were told to rid the land of the Amalekites, and they did, but they did not kill its king, and now it's reemerging, watch this, in their children's lives. Friends, have you been healed? I have. Raise your hand if you've been healed. Have you been healed of your cowardness? I have. Have you been healed of being timid? Have you been healed of being easily offended? And then it, and it rears an ugly head again. And you do not confess it or expose it publicly. You are putting your children's lives at risk because that's where the demonic seed springs up. You need to wake up, as Pastor Landon said. You need to wake up and man up and get delivered before you have to watch your children suffer the consequences of your partial disobedience. Because this is what the Amalekites represent in the house of Israel. What's partial obedience? Do you have some? Midian represents strife that, uh, that's, that comes from cohabitation with demons. And, and the Amalekites represent adversity that partners with it. And with it, it does because the Amalekites are unfinished business. Do you have some? The Amalekites are partial disobedience. And these two are now suppressing the growth of God's people. Can you feel the intensity rising? At one time in your life you felt restrained, but now you're just drained most of the time. Is that somebody in here? That is because you are under demonic attack from inside your camp. And you keep looking for the issues outside, but the problem is they're inside your camp already. When you are suppressed, the enemy is already inside your camp. But you can't believe that if you got a straw man. When you are suppressed, you know what comes next? Depressed. If you thought depression was the first step in a demonic direction, you are gravely mistaken, my friends. Depression is not compatible with the saints of the living God. I said depression is not compatible with the saints of the living God. Are you a saint in the house of God this morning? Yes. Well, then it is not something that you cohabitate with. Life and symptoms of death cannot cohabitate with you without having its consequence. Suppression leads to depression. Say depression. Depression. It's stage number four. Verse 5 of Judges 6 says they, who? Yeah. Strife and adversity. 
Strife and adversity came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels, and they invaded the land to ravage it. Did you hear that? The, the writer of Judges, Samuel, says it's impossible. <laughs> I love that the infallible word is written by fallible men. As soon as the words, I can't, or impossible come out of your mouth, you need to check your heart for depression. Why? Because the word of God is opposed to you at the moment. The word of God in Philippians 4, 13 says, I can do all things. I can do all things. That means I can't isn't compatible with you. Matthew 9, 26 says, Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible with God. All things are possible. All things are possible. Verse 5 in Judges says, it was impossible. Is that true? No. It is false. But when you are overwhelmed by the odds and you simply shut down shop to cope because you feel crushed by the weight, you have submitted yourself to hopelessness. You have waved the white flag of your faith. You, my friends, are depressed. Anybody ever feel numb in here? Apathetic? Indifferent? Or broken? That's the spirit of depression. That is not the spirit of the Holy Spirit. You know why? Because at this point, if you were a boxer, you just, you just received a, a four-punch combination. A one, two, three, four. You just received a regression, repression, suppression, boom, depression. All of it was set up for where we started in Judges 6-2. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites did something that God did not ask them to. They prepared shelters for themselves in mountain cliffs, in caves, and in strongholds. Saints, cliffs are, edge, are, are, are on edges. Caves are where you're secluded, and strongholds are safe places. You weren't meant to live on the edge. I said, you weren't meant to live on the edge. You weren't meant to live in seclusion. You weren't meant to live in safe, safe places that you fall in love with. Strongholds are safe places you run to, but aren't very safe because, well, you brought yourself in there with you with your friends. You were not designed to live in these places. Why? Because when you do dwell in these places for too long, they become your tombs. They become your tombs. We're going to read Mark 5, and I don't want you to turn there because I want you to pay attention. Mark 5, starting in verse 1. This is Jesus. And he says, They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there he met a man, uh, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. Church, where did this man come out of? Tombs. Tombs. This man emerged from a place that was a stronghold. Yeah. What may or may not have once been a stronghold of safety from something or someone else 
has now become for that man a depressing cave where he now resides all alone. Although he wasn't alone. Yeah, apparently not. Verse 3. He, the man, lived among the tombs. And no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. Strongholds can be a safe place for an allotted amount of time. Sometimes. Only sometimes. But this dude in the cave did not get that memo. He set up shop in the cave. Yeah. He lived in the cave. Yeah. He made it his permanent dwelling place. Wow. Everybody experiences moments of depression. Yeah. But if you're living there, you're in a tomb. If you haven't yet, now's a good time to start thinking about what stronghold you might have in your life that you've stayed in far too long. Can you feel the weight as we continue? It gets heavier, doesn't it? It gets a little like, I don't know, the cloud go over the sun outside? Because we're talking about deep, dark things that you're not supposed to live in. Verse 4. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. Yeah. No one had the strength to subdue him. Yeah. You remember in, in uh, I think it's suppression, being subdued by the enemy? Yes. The enemy subdues you as a person. What then happens is that your brothers and sisters cannot in their own strength stand in front of you to subdue you long enough to get you to understand what the problem is. Yeah. yeah. Come on. The enemy within subdues you and makes you unsubduable to your brother in front of you. If your brother could just sit you down long enough to minister to you and to put his finger on what's going on, then something could change. But at this point, you're not having any of it because you're incapable of being subdued because something's subduing you. Yes. When you're depressed, you're numb and apathetic towards everything. I have been there. Mm-hmm. I lived years in that spot. Mm-hmm. You're numb and apathetic towards anything, everything, and there's not anything anyone can say or do to get you to move. Come on. Nothing. Yeah. You've been stifled in your growth. People can see it. You can't seem to get anything right, and no matter what you've tried, nothing produces the fruit that you want to see. Yeah. If that's the case then why try? Yeah. (laughs) You've given up. As Pastor Mike said, you've raised your white flag of faith. Now you're sitting in such a depressive state that you've shut down. You find yourself alone with your demons. It seems as though no one has the strength to help you get out of your sorry attitude long enough to help you get free. Yeah. But in reality, you just don't want to be free. Let's be real. Shoo. Verse 5, night and day, Among the tombs and on the mountains, this man was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. Yeah. Dang. There's a progression even within this one stage. Yeah. You find yourself in such a lonely place, in such a numb and apathetic state at all times, that just in order to feel something, you cut yourself. Come on. You need to see the blood run down your wrist. Is that affecting anyone, that imagery? To feel it, you have to cut it, and you have to watch it. That blood flow down your wrist from what you just did to yourself. Yeah. You're emotional. You're exhausted. You feel like all strength has been taken from you. Yeah. Like this man, you might not be physically bound by chains, 
but you are certainly bound by spiritual chains. That's right. You feel stuck in a place where no matter how much you cry out, you feel like nobody can hear you, and you find yourself wondering why. Yeah. Go back to verse 1. He came out of the caves. Come on. He secluded himself. He put himself in a position to be alone. Yes. And loneliness brings friends. <laughs> Maybe you blame someone else for feeling this way. Yeah. Maybe you feel like someone hurts you. Therefore, it depresses you. Mm. Because you just wish they wouldn't have hurt you. Yeah. And instead of going to someone and talking to them about it, you just sit on it. And that depresses you. Yeah. Some of you live in a constant state of depression. And it's because at some point there was a regression and it led to this place alone with your demons. Come on. Verse 6 says, when he saw Jesus from afar, he fell and he, he ran and fell down before him. Amen. Amen. Jesus stepped on the scene. This man ran to him. Come on. Look at the next verse. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, what do you have to do with me? Jesus, son of the most high God. I adjure you by God, do not torment me. Wow. Are you afraid of being punished by God if you ask him for deliverance? It's because you've been in the tomb too long and your perspective of him is perverted. Do you think that Jesus is going to spank you as a consequence for your sin? Or heal you as a consequence of his suffering? This man did not run to Jesus for deliverance. Jesus stepped on the scene, and rightly so. Every demon submits to the authority of its rightful owner, King Jesus. But this man did not come to Jesus for deliverance. Come on. This man came to Jesus begging him not to punish him. Do not heal me. Go away. I don't want to be. Heal me, heal me. I don't want to be able to heal. Just leave me alone. When you're depressed... You don't, have it, you don't even have the courage to seek Jesus out. This man didn't. Jesus found him. Are you afraid of being punished? And is it keeping you from finding freedom? Come on. Keeping you in a deep, dark, lonely hellhole that you call a cave. That's spiritual bondage. Verse 8 and 9 says, For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. Wow. Where did we leave off in Judges 6? The enemy was like a swarm of locusts, impossible to count. My name is Legion, for we are many. For we are many. Saints, if you get alone and hear other voices, any other voices than the voice of God, who is it that is speaking to you and why are you entertaining their voices? Depression is the loneliest place with the loudest voices. Depression is the loneliest place with the loudest voices. You have given the devil a foothold a long time ago and now you are hearing the voice of his friends. Pastor Landon said it. He said that you let demonic activity into your home. The, the, the Bible goes even further in being graphic with these things because it wants you to really get the understanding of what's going on. Ephesians 4.26 says this. Be angry and do not sin. Go and let this, do not let the sun go down before you have dealt 
with the cause of your anger. Why? Otherwise, you will leave room for the adversary. You will have, another translation says, you will give him a foothold. Another one says, you will give him space. Another one says that you will give him land or territory. This word is topos, territory, land, space, foothold, square footage in your heart. Be angry, but guard it, he says. Be, be emotional, but guard it. Saints, your emotions are an area in your interior life that are susceptible to Satan. And your Bible says that you must not give him a bedroom in your house. Jesus used this word topos in John 14, 1, when he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Be, believe also in me. My father had my father's house has many rooms. His father's house has many. Aren't you the temple of God? Then that makes you his home. My father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I would have told you that I am going there to prepare a topos for you. I am going there to make space for you. I am going there to have it to make a bedroom for you. I am going there to make a territory that you can live in. Listen to me. When you have a when you have an emotional relationship in any room that you have invited the presence of God into. That you have not invited the presence of God to you're having an emotional affair. An interaction in an intimate room of your heart. Are you with me? Because right now in the progression of this, we're in the center of you. Because you have opened the door to something demonic that has seduced your emotions into entertaining them. The Bible says that you are the temple, but when you are in the state, this state, you have become a hotel. Hello? Are you not following me? You became a hotel. No longer a temple of God because you're participating in spiritual adultery and you don't even know it. Because you are getting raped by the Rephaim. How does a rape victim feel emotionally after they've been violated? Pitiful and rightfully so. But you're a son and daughter of the living God. You're a son and daughter of the living God and no one or no demonic thing gets to touch you unless you invite them in to do so. You know what that means? You're not a victim. You have not been violated because sons of God are never victims. That means that pity is the product of you abdicating your God-given power to Satan. Can we be even more clear? All this started the minute you regressed and now it has left you depressed. Church stays five. Oppression. Say oppression. Oppression. Verse six of Judges six. Midian so impoverished the Israelites. Wow. That they cried out to the Lord for help. Remember? Demonic influence originated with cohabitation, with things that are not of God. And it partnered with your partial disobedience. And now it's bred oppression. Oppression literally is prolonged, cruel, spiritual punishment. Prolonged, cruel, 
spiritual punishment or treatment. This comes from the seed sown a long time ago, but never uprooted and, and destroyed. And have brought you farther than you ever wanted to go. How many of you are in a good place in life, but you're like, where'd this come from? Well, you sowed the seed a long time ago and forgot about it. It rained and you went on and got some victory in other areas and something's now eating your lunch over here. Because, the, because it grew. Do not confuse long-suffering with oppression, saints. Do not confuse long-suffering with oppression. Long-suffering is what happens when you stand fast in righteousness. And many of you should be experiencing that. Oppression is what is happening because you have refused to deal with your demons. When I say your demons, what comes to mind? Yeah, those. Those things. These demonic powers, what did they do? They impoverished. Somebody didn't say impoverished. They impoverished. That means they stretched them thin. It literally means to be hung out dry or to be brought low. Saints, these are what those things do and that is why we must not partner with them. Yeah. Are you stretched thin? Have you ever been stretched thin by something other than the righteousness of Christ? Have you ever been brought low by something unseen, even though you seem to be doing the right things constantly? Those are the unseen demonic things behind the scene. Saints, when your flesh acts ungodly, it becomes very attractive to demonic powers. Are you hearing me? Holiness is our assault on darkness. Hello? It's not our plea to be accepted by God. You're already accepted. Holiness is resistance to the darkness. Prideful Christians find themselves here a lot because they are just too self-sufficient to ask for help. They think church is the place you go to show how well you're doing. And when you refuse to be filled with the Holy Spirit for deliverance, you pick up demonic leeches. And the more you refuse to repent and take responsibility and use your God-given authority, you become more and more oppressed and settle for it as just being your lot in life. Saints, the devil is a liar. I said the devil is a liar Amen. and now you're lying to yourself. Amen. Listen, for some of us in this room, we can start to scientifically or spiritually, whichever side of the boat you're on, analyze the issue at hand with questions similar to, should it have ever gotten this far? Was the person demon-possessed from the beginning? Was he ever even saved? Was he saved? How long did it all take to play out? How did we get here? What went wrong along the way? Yeah. Could we have not kept this from happening sooner? Saints, it does not matter. Yeah. Not any of it. Because the reality is, it's where you're at now. Cut it off at the root right now. Come on. If a loved one has cancer, would we just want to medicate the symptoms to help them feel better? No, we want to eradicate. And maybe ignore the cancer that's causing the symptoms in the first place? Yeah. What if your kids are getting demonically influenced, whether that's at school, whether that's by the shows you let them watch, the atmosphere you give them to reside in. 
Would you just want to walk them through those things and tell them it's normal and just offer them band-aids to help fix the reality of demonic oppression? Would we really rather just sit and ask these types of questions instead of get to what the actual problem is? Mm. No. 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 Say no. No. Address these things at their very core. Cast it out. Tell the cancer to leave. Tell the demonic influences to get the hell out. Yeah, come on. What's left in the wake of these things can be addressed after the actual issue is resolved. Come on. We don't expect you to be perfect. We're not perfect after the Lord delivers us from our wrongdoings. Yeah. But he will put us back together. He is faithful. Yeah. And it will be dealt with after the root is cut out. Yes. Oppression is cruel spiritual treatment. It's wicked at every turn. What demons are oppressing you this morning? Come on, saints. What are you using as band-aids to cover up your demonic oppression? Come on. Come Let on. that sink in. Start to think about that. We're not done yet, but we're getting there. Yeah. Saints, when you are oppressed, you become excessive in your discernment. You think your friends are your enemies. You think it's God's fault that got you in that place. That's the devil's lie to keep you there. And when you are oppressed, you are constantly full of worry, not faith. You are critical. You are cynical. You are offended time and time again. Oppression is not an attack, saints. It is the reality of a long-term siege, but you are beyond hope. So you, now you just justify it because you're looking for ways to cope and to survive. And you justify every faithless act that you're doing to keep you there. Do you deal with guilt, shame, condemnation? Didn't Jesus not die for these things? Rejection, confusion, negative, disruptive thoughts, a defeated mentality, hateful feelings towards other people, including your brothers and sisters. You are oppressed. Oppression, saints, is the setup for what inevitably comes next if you do not seek Jesus for deliverance and cry out to him for help. Saints, number six is obsession. Say obsession. Obsession. Verses 7 through 10 of Judges 6. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet. Come on. Who said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I already brought you up out of Egypt. Come on. Out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hands of the Egyptians. And I delivered you from the hand of, watch this, all your oppressors. Come on. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. Wow. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in Don't whose land you dwell. Don't do it. But you have not listened to me. Wow. But you have not listened to me. Saints, you opened the door down a slippery slope the day you regressed, and now you are oppressed. And because you're oppressed, now you are obsessed. Obsession literally defines itself. It's the, th it's the thing that 
people keep telling you that you are, but you refuse to believe them. Because like pastor said, you are captivated with your captivity. And because, well, you quit a long time ago and you are just coping. Yeah. James 1, 13 says it like this. When tempted, no one should say it's God. God's not tempting me. For God cannot tempt anyone by evil, nor does he tempt anyone, period. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires. Where are those evil desires, saints? Out there that you got to pray to get or inside of you? Your own evil desires and then you're enticed. Then after that, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, it's a monster. Gives birth to death. Saints, when someone is obsessed, it is always someone else's fault or something, something else's fault. The devil made me do it, as Pastor Landon said. No! But you have given him an invitation to partner with him in your life. And you can't see past your current obsessions to make right judgments. When you are obsessed, you are myopic. Do you understand what that looks like? It looks like looking in a, te- in a little tiny scope. What do you call those things, Joshua? Right? A microscope. And so you're unaware of everything going out here because you think everything's happening right there. Yeah. When you are obsessed, you are myopic. You develop tunnel vision and no one can get, tell you anything. Why? Because you have been dragged away, James says, by your own evil interior. Then you're enticed. And when you're enticed, something happens. You conceive. Hello? Conception has to do with cohabitation. It takes more than one. And what happens when conception? You reproduce something. You reproduce death. They say love is blind because... Well, when you're in love, you're hyper-focused on what you're in love with. Am I right? Come on, Dylan. Am I right? What receives your most attention? What is it that has your investments? Where is your time spent? How does your passions play out? Where are your affections? What are you obsessed with? If it's not godly, You are not gaining ground. You are seceding it. Again, let's recall Galatians 4 that we went over earlier. Verses 8 through 9 of Galatians 4 says, Formerly when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now you have come to know God, or rather be known by Him. How can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? Wow. After all the miracles he's yeah. done for you. Yeah. <laughs> Biblically, after the 40 years of peace he brought Israel through. 40 years. I'm trying to string, again, string together 20. After that time and countless deliverances and miracles in your life. Shh. Countless times he's made a way when there seemed to not be one. How can you want to go back again? Dang. Again. It's because you're captivated by your captivity. Wow. And, and listen, let's call this for what it is. You love being dominated by something other than God. Ooh, okay. 
You love being submissive to the demonic things that overpower you. Yeah. For some of you, your obsessions might look like cover-ups for your internal brokenness. Mm. You're so broken that there has to be something else in your life to obsess over as a cover-up so you don't have to focus on what the actual problem is. Yeah. And it shows. Yeah. For others, you were never fathered growing up. Mm-hmm. And you're using the things you're obsessed with as a cover-up. Mm. And it shows. Because the fruit plays out in your kids. Yeah. At the same time, there might just be some in this room. Maybe you just straight up, for whatever reason, love darkness. Mm. You're captivated by how someone else is dominating you. Mm. And you love it. To the point where you just can't let it go. It becomes the one thing you're obsessed with. Regardless of what those obsessions are for anyone in this room. It's all the result of the same problem. Yeah. You love your sin more than you love Jesus. Come on. You love your sin more than the idea of being free. Even though you've tasted it. How you can go back, we don't understand our own ways. The heart is wickled and deceitful above all things. Oh, man. And you love your sin more than being a godly example to your wife and your kids. Or your husband and your kids. Man. Church, that does not go unrecognized by darkness. Darkness capitalizes on those things. Come on. That is an easy victory. Wow. You handed him the W on a silver platter. Yes. That's what you did. Feeding the monster. Darkness has to be something. That's it. Feeding. Darkness has to have something to feed on to be sustained. None of us can go without eating or drinking to be sustained. Yeah. It's the same thing with spiritual attacks. Mm. It has to have something to feed on to keep going. And the more you allow it to feed on your sinful desires, the more it will eat and reproduce manifestations of itself, eventually leading to the death and destruction of every good thing left in you. Galatians 4 says this. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child is no different from the slave, though he is owner of everything. But he is under the guardians and managers until the date of his father. In the same way we also, when we are children, were enslaved to elementary principles of the world, find ourselves in a unique position. Wow. See, what we so easily forget is the fact that we're heirs. Yeah. We are heirs of the living God. Yeah. We own the land. Do you believe it, though? See, that's what we're trying to touch on today for you, saints. We're giving you a stark reality. And then reminding you of the truth. Who owns the title deed? He owns the title deed. So we own the title deed. When you are reminded of that, you will boot the enemy into the place there where he belongs. He's squatting on your land. It's not his in the first place. Saints, if you are constantly preoccupied, everybody ever been there? If you're constantly preoccupied with ideas, goals, hobbies, careers, you are inviting oppression and you are on the way to being obsessed. Seek first the kingdom, right? 
Man, if you are preoccupied and obsessed with drugs, addiction, religion, nicotine, alcohol, online intimacy, your careers, your hobbies, whatever it might be, you're on your way to obsession. You are under these things. Women, if you are preoccupied and obsessed with your mirror and social media and how you should look, feel, and think about yourself, you're on your way to an obsession that's going to cause you to be there far longer than you wanted to go. Judges 6 said it like this in verse 10. You did not listen to me. That means God has been speaking the whole time when you say he's not. You're just not listening to him. Judges 6.11 says, and the angel of the Lord came down and he sat down in Ophrah that belonged to Joaz, where the son of Gideon was. And watch this. Gideon was doing something. And this is key. He was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep him from the demonic influences that was happening. What's wrong with that picture? Have you ever watched the movie Lord of the Rings? Right? Schmeagle? You ever been? That's obsessed. My precious, my precious, beautiful little valuable something that I put on my finger and gives me a little bit of power. But, uh, but at some point, it brings me to a place farther than I wanted to go and transforms me into something that I never wanted to be. And this is what's happened in Gideon. Gideon is in a wine press threshing wheat. Wheat's supposed to be threshed out in the open, not in a wine press. That's what obsession does and it's what it looks like. Wheat was not meant to be threshed in a wine press no more than Gideon was made to hide in one. Hiding himself from the invasion of what was stealing in his inheritance. He should have been out there saying, this is my father's and you don't belong on it. I lease no space to you. James 3.15 says this. We have to contend with more than just our flesh, saints. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Earthly things, unspiritual things, and demonic things, it says. You are under the wrong influence if you think that all you have to contend with is your own flesh. The world, the flesh, and the devil are all oppositions and opportunities for you to rise up and over these things. You must continue to take authority over the devil and his demonic team. If you do not evict the straw man, you will continue to live on the edge of the promise you call home. Saints, we have come to the last stage in every demonic siege and full circle to the hot topic we started with. Number seven, possession. <gasps> There's that word. Scary. You know what? You, know, you recognize this guy in here? This little thing back I bought that as a sermon prop. Put it in my office all week. I even turned his face around because I don't like it. <laughs> and every single time I walk into my office, I'm like, I'm sitting in my office and I'm like, turn my head, I'm like, I know that's there. But for some reason, I don't like it. I possess my office, but something there was with me. Cohabitating with you in your office. 
Listen, stage seven is possession. Let's recap. Stage one was repression. Sorry, regression. Stage two, repression. Repression leads you to a place of suppression. Suppression leads you into depression. In stage five, you find yourself oppressed. In stage six, you become obsessed. Yeah. And in stage seven, full circle, possessed. Saints, if you are experiencing any of these things in your life, don't wait any longer. Come on. You need deliverance today. Yes. And the Lord in heaven is willing to set you free from your demons Come today. Come on. Daimonitsamai. Demonization is very real reality for both Christians and non-Christians. And if you do not evict the straw man and deal with the influences that it's keeping you from confronting in your life, no matter the measure in which you carry them, you will end up in a place that might as well be ownership of Satan. Only God owns you, but it might as well be ownership of what you own. But there's the issue in, a, in, a, in it itself and in hand. Are you so focused on whether the scarecrow in the room is real that the whole time some demonic pestilence is eating at your harvest? That's childish, saints. Adults know that scarecrows aren't real. Are you so afraid of what it would mean if you could be possessed by demonic power that you never enter the fight at all? Straw man. That's what your unbiblical worldview has taught you. Let's create a straw man argument so that you never actually enter into the conversation, period. So that you'll stand over here while somebody else stands in your harvest field. And the whole time, you grow here and never grow there because you are afraid of something that has no power. Everybody says that they want to be an Acts church until they realize that those who do actually believe the entire Bible and that it's still real today and that it actually will take place like it took place then now. Go read your Bible. Tell me that the things we aren't saying are true. Tell me that people who love Jesus even to the end did not have to contend with demonic influences even in their own heart. Anything in creation, including you, God's new creation, cannot be owned by anything other than God. But you can most certainly abdicate authority and be so controlled by demonic influences that your life looks like it is owned by another. That is called demonized. And that is because although the child owns the entire inheritance... Because of who your father is, you have least space to the kingdom of darkness. Is that you this morning? And that is because although the child owns the entire thing, this is the reality of your life. Saints, we've removed the straw man for you this morning, but it's up to you to evict its tenants. Judges 6.1 said this. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites, 
Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain cliffs, caves, and strongholds. Wow. Verse 3. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, demonic strife, adversity, and other demonic things invaded the land. Come on. In a complete seven-year cycle, God gave. Who gave? God gave. His sons and daughters into the consequences of their poor stewardship of the land. But who owned the land? Who owned the people? Did that ownership of the people and the land change? Were there other people living in God's land? Were there other influences living inside the heart of God's people? Are there other influences living in yours? Jesus is Lord of all creation, but both light and darkness. Amen. Amen. Satan is on God's chain. I said Satan is on God's chain and his demons days are numbered. At the great white throne judgment, every creation will be reminded of who owns what. And your Bible is clear that in the end, the only thing that Satan owns is his position in hell. Church, the Holy Spirit is omnipresent. It is everywhere at all times. Psalm 139.7 says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. Duh. Say if I make go. <laughs> if I make my bed in Sheol in the pits of hell, he's also there. In the pits of hell, the presence of God is there? How can he not be in the pits of yours? The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, but there are renters ruling the earth. There are squatters in your land. Because you can be owned by God, but cohabitated by demonic powers. But how do you know this is you? Saints, if any one of these stages are true about you, that's you. Are you going to let that be the end of your story? If you don't believe me, then ask Judas, who left everything after following Jesus. Or you could ask Peter, who followed Jesus, but was rebuked and called Satan himself. But then he was later handed the keys to the kingdom. Or ask Ananias and Sapphira who sold everything that they had to give it to the church, but let Satan fill their heart. Or read Hebrews 11 and tell me why is it that someone like Samson can sleep with the devil his entire life over and over and over again, but find himself written down in the text as an example of faith for you. Saints... We can evict the straw man argument today, but I believe if we can do that, we will begin to get some breakthrough that we've been waiting for for five years. Some of you have been journeying with us for too long. We see your patterns. We see the devil at work in your life. We know you love the Lord. We know you love the family of God. We know you love your family and love the Lord with everything that you have. But there are some demonic strongholds in your life that must be broken in Jesus' name. Judges 6, 7 said it like this as a reminder as we close out this message. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. 
I brought you up out of Egypt. Come on. Out of the land of slavery. Come on. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and I delivered you from the hand of all of your oppressors, every on. single one of them. Come on. And I drove them out before you and gave you their land. Wow. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites Come in on. whose land you live. Come on. But you have not listened to me. Saints, it's time that we tie up some loose ends. Judges 6, 7 literally is giving us what to do. In verse 10, he says, but you did not listen to me. What happens when you will not listen to a word directly from heaven? Verse 8, he sent them a prophet. God sent them an authoritative message through an authoritative messenger. If you will not listen to God who you think is not speaking to you because you're not listening, you must listen to the men of God who is standing right in the middle of it with you. They may not be the ones you want, but they're exactly what you need. Number one, listen to the man who represents God in your life that are right in the middle of it with you. We're right here. Number two, after 40 years of peace, they did evil because although they enjoyed the gifts, they forgot the giver. I brought you out of slavery. I rescued you. I delivered you. I drove out your demons. I gave you their land because it always belonged to me. I said that I'm yours and you are mine. I am yours and you are mine. Listen to my message. Remember what I have already done. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. I was then, I was there then, and I'm there now. I delivered you then, and I'll deliver you now. Now, 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 cry out to me. That's not a private affair, saints. Cry out to me publicly. Get a little bit emotional. Get a little bit wrecked. Cry out. I am broken. I'm depressed. I'm suppressed. Something's going on in my life. It's unseen. I love you, Lord. But something is wrecking me. My family seems to be going to hell, but I, I don't seem to care. I'm waiting for a pastor to give me an altar call that's wide open. I'm waiting for music to move me because I can't seem to be moved. What is it, saints? What is it? Why do you think we labor in the Word for so long? Your intention spans are 15 minutes when they should be for hours. And your response times are hours when it should be minutes. Come on. This not the devil's not playing games. If you're flirting with him, he comes to seek to destroy you. Steal, kill, and destroy. Not flirt with you. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. You love the Lord, but your harvest field is rotten. That's not fitting of a son and daughter living God. You know you belong to him. Nobody has to come to you and tell you, hey, Jesus loves you. You know that. The problem is you love you too, but you love yourself more than you love him. When you should be giving your life for him and everything. 
But somewhere along the way, you stepped and you regressed and the slippery slope got you back to a place that you cannot get out of. That's because you need help. You need deliverance and you need it now. You need it now. You need it now. Come on, you need it now. Cry out to the Lord. Cry out. I am sick and tired of being sick and tired. I am done with playing games with God. No more. No more. I own the inheritance. I evict the enemy. I evict the demonic strongholds in my life. I no longer say, hey, I'm just struggling. I'm just there. I mean, man, like I'm going to grow into this. Hello? Cowards. Cowards don't enter the kingdom. Cowards are discouraged. That's the opposite of full of courage. Rebecca, you are sons and daughters of the living God. You own the land. God owns you. God owns the power over the things that, that are your strongholds. He has power. And you know what the word says? You have power. You have authority. And it's about time that you take it. Saints, I'm not angry with you. I'm angry with everything that has a hold on you that's not God. I love you. I love the body of Christ. I love your families. I love the men and women in here. I love these children. And in the name of Jesus, the devil can't have them. You need to get up and fight. You need to war in the spirit. You need to seek God on your face. You need to pray until it's broken. Come on. Come on. Come on. You're too dignified for your own good. Every man and woman should be on the altar in this place. You should be on your face before the Lord. Rabaka. Cry out to him. Rabaka. You got to clear out the room. Invite the strong man in. That the presence of God might be the only thing that inhabits that. Rabaka, rabaka. Everyone, we break mental strongholds. We break emotional strongholds. Men and women in here who can't be emotional because they're afraid of it. Because some religion told them that emotionalism was not of God. God owns your emotions. God owns your life. God owns Satan and he rebukes him in the name of Jesus. Lies. We break those lies in the name of Jesus. We cast them out. Yes, God. Yes, God. The mind of Christ. The mind of Christ. The mind of Christ. The mind of Christ. Yes, yes. The first thing that Gideon does when God meets him is he goes to his father's idols and he crushes them. Mighty God, in the name of Jesus, we break every contract made with darkness between generations. Father, in the name of Jesus, we call out men and women.
who are toxically dependent upon the generation that did not raise them right. In the name of Jesus, you raised them. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. No reserves. Hold nothing back. No reserves. Hold nothing back. No reserves. It always gets a little ugly before it gets better, saints. Quit holding back. Hold nothing back. You know what you know what you've done. Take responsibility for your freedom. Begin to pray. Pray. Stop letting it be so internal. Make it external. Maybe make it a public affair. Colossians says that he defeated the enemy publicly, making a public spectacle home. On a cross. Your private life belongs to Jesus. Come on. Come on. Come on. For too long you waited for AIDS like music to move you. Let the Holy Spirit move you.